With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. I've started many, many businesses since then, and I can tell you one thing for sure. When I've done it for the money, I've always failed. 100% of the time I failed. A lot of people will say, James, what can I do to help you? That's the worst networking you could do. You just gave me homework. I'm busy enough already. Now I have to think what is empty in my life that this person who I have no idea what their skill set is, what they could do to help me. If you're well-intentioned, if you're not hurting anybody and you're well-intentioned, it all works out in the end. If you're always trying to provide value, no matter what happens then, you keep that network growing. Will you tell us a little bit about your current income streams and then how you diversify? Because you're in a great position this time around. When you interview people, do you put a lot of emphasis on the very first question? Uh, no, I try to catch people off guard a little bit mm. in the very beginning mm. and almost start off the podcast in the middle. For instance, we're rolling right now. This is going to be in the podcast. Oh, so I awesome. have with me today, Jenny Blake, who author of the book Pivot. I'm so excited about it. I provided the blurb that's on the back, right, Jenny? Yes, you did, front and center. What did I say? I forget, because I wrote the blurb like a few months ago. Well, the part that I remember most is that I'm one of your favorite people, which yes. makes me so happy, Very warms true. my heart, and that Pivot is the secret to gaining millions. Excellent. Here's I, hoping. <laughs> yes, here's hoping. So, so uh, Jenny, I've known you for a long time, but you worked at Google for, what, like four or five years? Five and a half years. And then... Um, You've been you've been involved in helping so many different businesses. You've given me a ton of advice, uh, and I'm I was so excited to read your book Pivot. And now you're coming on this special bonus episode of the James Altucher. I can't even say my own last name. The James Altucher Show uh, to ask me about my pivots. So, and I'm excited about that. Well, immediately when I read Choose Yourself, I felt like. I got to know this guy. And because you kind of wrote the book I wish I had written. And so it actually had me pivot my my own thinking because I was going to write about a lot of the stuff you say about the daily practice. And then you already covered it. So I totally ruined your life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you helped me unpack what a pivot actually means. And that's what I'm curious to talk to you about because in stalking, studying <laughs> your background, it seems that you pivot every few years, which I think is a new normal now. Yeah, I think... And you mentioned this in your book. I mean, what's the average amount of time? I mean, people used to stay at a job for like 40 years. Like my grandfather, probably your grandfather, stayed at a job for 
I think from literally like 1948 to 1988, he stayed at the same job. So, but now, at least in your book, you mentioned people stay at a, the average tenure, something like four or five years at a job. And I think that's even overblown. Everybody I interviewed from the time I first interviewed them to a year and a half later when I went to fact check, almost nobody had stayed in the same place. And, you know, I'm wondering if this is like a very common, almost primal thing, because think about it. People didn't used to live as long, so they would have to kind of, and, and people were nomads, like, you know, humans were nomads, so they wouldn't stay in the same place, they'd move around. I don't know how often, I mean, I don't know what the evidence is on how often people moved around, but think about it in terms of the arts. Like, every great band, they kind of have their four or five year period where they produce all of their hits, and then the next 30 years they just tour. It doesn't even matter, like, okay, U2 is a great band, and I'm not singling them out, and they keep putting out great songs. But honestly, all the songs we kind of all sing to ourselves are in a five-year period they made in the late 80s, early 90s. And then the rest of the time they tour, and they put out new albums, but it's, I don't even know any of those songs. Same thing for, like, the Beatles had their, like, let's call them their special, so they might have had a six-year period. Rolling Stones might have had a six- or seven-year period. But for the most part, most bands have a three- to five-year period where they produce everything, all their master and mathematicians, scientists is the same thing. A five year period, uh, uh, businessmen is a five year period, and then after that they live off of that. Right, or you have someone like Madonna who reinvents herself in these major ways, or, or Picasso. Yes. he switched genres, like went from cubism to what more sketching to poetry to whatever. Every five years he switched. Exactly, and the thing that I found is those who are most successful at pivoting are doubling down on what's already working. They're doing something, there mean? is some common thread that that is their anchor. So the, even when it looks like a 180 from the outside, most pivots are that, that are successful are actually leveraging some strength or skill or asset from someone's past. So, 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 so it's not like I'm gonna pivot from doing what I am right now to like being a professional basketball player. Well, for example, you're taking DJ classes. Yes. Right, so what, what would you say in your background relates to that? Well, that's very interesting. I didn't think about that. But in the 90s, I did have a company that made websites for rap labels. And so a lot of the stuff I saw in the DJ class was related to music that I had personally made the websites for, you know, 20 years ago. So there was there was that aspect. Plus, on this podcast, I've had a lot of uh, people from that industry come on. So it's always been an interest of mine. I would say, too, you're attuned to an audience and that you enjoy, whether it's writing or podcasting or in the future, hopefully we're all going to some set that you're DJing, that you enjoy intuitive kind of reading of a crowd and then and then creating something for them. Well, well, also with, with writing, I wanted to figure out, um, like I'm always trying to improve my writing, but I figure right now in particular, I need to, not need is, is the wrong word, but I really want to pivot the writing. And I figure I need to develop, I need to speak other artistic languages, like let's say photography, I've been studying a little bit, DJing is another one, um, even reading more poetry than I normally would. So trying to really understand uh, and listen to other artistic languages to learn to how to do better the language I really want to pivot in. In a broader sense, would you say you're at a pivot point right now? Oh, yeah, I'm totally at a pivot point in a lot of different ways in terms of writing and business and so on. Yeah, it seems like, and we've talked even personally, that even for for you, you can have a certain style of writing for a few years, but it seems like you're kind of ready for the next thing. Yeah, like even for if five you don't years, know exactly what it is. I mean, from from 2005 to 2010, I wrote mostly about finance and stocks, 
and uh, and you know the world economy and everything. And then from 2010 to now, I write a lot about you know kind of the choose your, not not the choose yourself genre, but I write a lot of stuff. Here's how I failed. Here's how I came out of failure. Here's when I was feeling suicidal. Here's how I came out of that. But there's only so many. And I did that. I write every day. So that's every day from 2010 to 2016. I'm writing about all these horrible and horrific things that happened to me and how I kind of came out of it. It's only so many horrible things that happened to me. I can't. And it's not like 1700 horrible things happened to me that I, I, ha I have to figure out new because I love the writing and because I feel like I've uh, uh, gotten a, a little bit better at it. I want to now figure out the next pivot to, to write about. What would success be a year from now? Um, I think uh, being able to tell stories in a new and fresh way, improved, uh, where I feel like a new burst of energy, where I could pour my soul into it again. I feel like for five years I was able to really pour my soul into what I was writing about. Now it goes back and forth a little bit because I feel I'm at this pivot point and to be able to have that kind of soul and energy again into it. Not that I don't now, but it's a little more erratic now, I feel. How do you know when you're at a pivot point? I think I know, like I remember when I was an employee, the last time I was an employee at a major company was HBO, the television network. And I had a great job. I knew I enjoyed what I was doing, but I felt like making websites for a corporation had like a ceiling. There was only so much creativity you could pour into it because otherwise then the company takes over and the marketing department takes over. And so literally I'd wake up at like six and I would just lie in bed until eight and I just didn't feel like going into work. I didn't feel happy about it, even though I loved my coworkers, I loved the job, I loved what I was doing. Um, but also I had a business I was running on the side building websites for other entertainment companies. So I was trying to decide, do I stay at the corporate job? Do I go to this my new company full time? I really was torn in a lot of different ways and I was kind of... I felt like I had reached my full potential in the main thing I was doing, which was my corporate job. So I, I felt I hit the ceiling at it. I, I love how you Yeah. Well, I love how you describe too, you want to pour your soul into something. And that at that point where you didn't really feel like waking up and had that kind of lack of energy, that that's, those are your signals, some well, of your signals. Well, think about it. There's, for any field you want to do, um, let's say, I don't know, I've had a lot of astronauts on this podcast, okay? So I'll just go pick that randomly. If you want to be an astronaut, there's the astronaut who's going to pour his soul or her soul into it. And then there's the astronaut who's like, oh, I got to go to work again and be an astronaut. Who's going to actually get to go into space? The one who pours his or her soul into it, not the guy who's like, oh, again, I've got to like figure out those NASA controls. Like that's that, that person's not going to make it into space. Only this the one who's really got that edge. I'm curious about the finances of reinvention and pivoting for you, because I talk about having a pivot runway and money does inform your pivot possibilities and when you can do it and how sharp of a turn you can make. And you've t written very poignantly about going from 15 million to zero in 2008. And you, zero in 2002, 2001. And in 2000. And so I'm curious, what's different this time around that you're reinventing, but not going to zero? What are you doing differently? I think um, I think there's three skills to money. There's there's growing it, keeping it. Oh no, sorry. There's making it, keeping it, growing it. And I feel finally after so many times going broke, I could. Oh well, definitely I know how to make it. 
that I've done over and over and over again, but I've always failed to keep it. Now I know how to keep it, and I think I have a little bit of a sense of how to grow it. So now my and I'm a little older. So now my pivoting can be a little bit more creative. I'm not just about figuring out like, oh my gosh, I'm back on the floor. I have two children to raise. What can I do now to support my family? I mean, I'm going to be 50 in two years. I know I don't look it, but you know. Not at uh, all. Not a day over 30. <laughs> not a day over 30. Uh, I have some gray hair. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, I feel like I've got to figure out other ways to pivot to enjoy life and, and business as well. So it's not, it's not like I'm just trying to do businesses that will help me tread water. I'm trying to do businesses that will, you know, make be something I fully enjoy and, and take pleasure in. You said that you've learned better how to keep your money and grow it. What yeah. specifically? Well, keeping it is very important. Like you, you learn how to, if you have some money, you learn how to not pour it all into um, either luxuries or kind of fad investments or bad investments. You learn how to diversify everything you do. So now I realize the purpose of having money is basically mostly to keep it in cash. And <laughs> you want to just keep it. Like money gets you a certain amount of safety. And if you don't, you know, you refer to a pivot runway, which gets me back to all the way to my first time pivoting, leaving the corporate job for a startup business. But now the runway, I have to take into account um, all the different things I'm responsible for on an annual basis, like, you know, the most obvious being two children. So any kind of pivot I do has to take them into account. As you get older, you get more and more responsibilities. But when you're young, that's a great time to pivot uh, on the financial way because you don't need as much runway. Now I need huge runway to, to, to do anything new. Yeah. You, you have what I would call a diversified reinvention portfolio. Definitely, which is key. <laughs> yes, which is, that can be skills, your network, and income streams. Will you tell us a little bit about your current both income streams and then how you diversify so that because you're in a great position this time around like you said you're you're pivoting because it feels good and you want to grow and learn and, and diversify your creative skills but you're in such a strong position i think because of how diversified your reinvention well, portfolio is well um let's do i i want to actually throw out another phrase there uh which is i've diversified my no so oh. i can say no a lot more because I've diversified my different income streams and opportunities, if a new possibility comes across or if a current one goes bad or, or needs more from me, I can say no to it. So uh, not always, but most of the time. So so right now I, I make money from podcasting. I have an income stream from podcasting. I do this podcast and one other uh, called Question of the Day. So good. Uh, thank you. It was Steve <laughs> Dubner from, from Freakonomics. And um, I write books. So, and I, and not only do I write books, but I, so I write nonfiction books, but I also have a children's book coming out. So I'm trying to diversify a little bit the types of books I have coming out even. So for possible multiple income streams, even within one income stream, uh, I have, um, three different businesses I'm involved in. One is, uh, where I kind of, uh, monetize some of my writing, uh, in the form of newsletters. Another is, uh, an angel investment portfolio that I manage. Another is with with Kamal Ravikant, who you know. We're setting up a, um, uh, a kind of a, 
a, a fund to invest in virtual reality companies. Oh, that's so, so cool. Yeah, because I'm a big believer that virtual reality is a kind of um, technological uh, pivot that's happening right now yes. in, ter- in, ter- in this economy. And so, so, so those three businesses uh, are income streams, and I mentioned uh, books and podcasts, and uh, and sometimes I do speaking and consulting. I don't do that as much, but I used to do that a lot more. But it's always there. I've built up the as Cal Newport, who wrote a blurb on your uh, on your book, uh, as Cal Newport would put it, I built up the career capital where I could always also fall back into consulting or speaking or whatever. So, so I've done a lot of those different things. If you could pick one dream stream of income that you don't currently have, pie in the sky, anything is possible. What would you add? Stand-up comedy. <laughs> yes. That would be the... I of course, that. nobody <laughs> nobody makes money at that except Louis C.K. and like a few, Amy Schumer, a few others. So it's not like that's going to be an income stream anytime soon. Well, we didn't say it has to be your main one, but it can no, at but, least but, get, get started. But also you can do things that aren't uh, income streams. Yes. That not everything has to be an income stream. Like if you get a lot of pleasure out of something, I mean, a lot, a lot of people got, get pleasure out of playing Pokemon Go and not everyone is making money out of that. No, maybe one person out of a hundred million is are making money out of it. So We could start the Pokemon Go podcast, although I'm sure there's hundreds there's of them. There's probably already, yeah. <laughs> True. It's like, it's, True. Like, um, it's like how Minecraft... People don't realize how popular Minecraft was among kids. So if you really, if 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 the bestseller lists were really made up of the best books, I don't know if this is true today, but this was true about two years ago. If the bestseller lists were really made up of the top selling books, one through ten would be all Minecraft books. So at least two years ago. Now I don't know if that's true, but I bet you it'll soon be true about Pokemon books or podcasts about Pokemon Go. Definitely. And what I want to highlight what you said about virtual reality is. That's what I call a pilot, small experiment. At Google, the motto was launch and iterate. Just try little things and get them out there. Even, you know, Eric Reese writes in the Lean Startup. It's all about getting MVPs out. And what's well, cool uh, is you're not putting all your eggs in the VR basket, but you are saying, I'm interested in this, and I think there's a future here, and I'm going to Well, that's a great point. Like, dive I think, into it. I think this is the biggest. I think there are $3 trillion opportunities in the past 30 years. The first was the internet. The second was the app store slash, you know, smartphones. And the third now is virtual reality. So that's how strongly I believe this is the, the, a massive trillion dollar opportunity on the scale of the internet. And yet it's just one thing in a portfolio of things I'm doing because you can't put, like you said, you can't, you have to have a diversified pivoting portfolio. So, so I think that's really important to know. So it's not like if it doesn't work out for me, okay, I've got these other things and life is short. I'm going to enjoy these other things as well. But I do think there's a huge opportunity here. Where do you think artificial intelligence fits? Would you lump that with VR or put that separately? Well, I mean, I, I went to graduate school in computer science. I majored in computer science, and I, my specialty was artificial intelligence. And one thing about artificial intelligence is it's people call everything artificial intelligence until they figure out how they do how to do right, it. It's kind of and a then it's target. like statistics or, you know, you, like computer vision was artificial or, yeah, computer vision is a great example. It was artificial intelligence until they kind of figured it out. And now it's just very sophisticated statistical models and so on. So, you know, all all, I, all of that's just ongoing computer science, academic work, and, and technology work. Whereas virtual reality, again, is an ex, it's, it's an experiential thing. It's not just technology. It's There's going to be a new forms of writing, new forms of content creation. It's hardware. It's software. It's It's fashion it's it's commerce so that's a whole other unique area whereas artificial intelligence is a very specific area of computer science i find mixed reality fascinating too 
in the lumping that with VR, just this augmented reality. Yeah, that like magically, the whole Pokemon Go thing. Yes, look, look how popular yes. the first real commercial example is. It became bigger than Twitter in like a week. So yeah. how how big is that? And yet, again, I won't put all my eggs in one basket. Like I, and you know what you said too about the small experiments. This happened to me in in two thousand six, uh, two thousand seven. Uh, I was running a hedge fund and I and I was trying to sell it and I realized I couldn't sell it. Like I somebody a bank did make me an offer, but they wanted me to sign a 6-year employment agreement and I realized I why would they need me for 6 years because I had built no real equity in this business. Like the business couldn't survive without me. So I so I actually instead of selling the business, I shut it down and I started I think I think we started nine other businesses. My, my business partner and I, we started nine other businesses, so all website businesses, like a dating site for this, a website for this, a, another dating site. Started nine different businesses. All of them failed. But we did them all little experiments. Like we, I would pay a few thousand dollars to a bunch of developers in India, and we'd make this website. I'd try to market it. We'd see what caught fire. Nine in a row failed. And then on the 10th, we'd already spent a lot of money at this point, nine of these businesses. Like it was starting to add up. And... My business partner was like, you know, we tried nine different things. Let's just get back to focusing on the fund. And I was like, no, let's just try this last thing. And we started a company called stockpicker.com, which was kind of like a social media site for stock picking. At the time, this is how dated it was just a short while ago. I called it the MySpace of finance. And uh, um, But then we, we, we very quickly, we got a million unique users a month and we were growing and Different companies wanted to buy it. Yahoo, AOL. Uh, we were even talking to Google. Probably even when you were at Google, I don't know. And um, and then we ended up selling to thestreet.com, Jim Cramer's company, for ten million. Yeah, so That's it was a incredible. good. It was a good success story. But that was after doing you know ten small yeah. experiments. And you have to be able to experiment like that. It's really true. And letting the market when I so when I I think a good experiment and I talk about this in the book answers the three E's. One, do you enjoy doing this? Do you want to do more of it? Two, can you become an expert at it? And do you even want to invest that time? Like the astronaut question. And then three, is there room for expansion in the market? Well, it's such, it's such a great point because, like I was thinking, like here I had been writing about stocks, and I was also a former website developer. So suddenly, and I was a hedge fund manager, so I was an investor Perfect too. Confluence. And yeah. so I took all my investing strategies from my hedge fund, and I took all my writing ability, and I, at that time, and I took my experience designing websites and put them all together to make the ideal site for a pivot. As opposed to, like, I'll tell you one of the experiments. It was so stupid. Like, you know, you know the web, remember the website Hot or Not? Like, you oh, upload yeah. a picture, and people <laughs> yeah. would vote from zero to ten whether someone's hot. So I decided, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something like that. So I called it Smarter Stupid. And so <laughs> you, you sign up, you upload your photo, and you take an IQ test, and, um, and then other people are supposed to. Uh, guess your IQ. They see your photo oh, and they're supposed to guess your IQ. And then it could be a dating site like how, how Hot or Not was. And uh, first off, nobody was signing up for it. Second off, even my, uh, at the time, six-year-old daughter came up to me and said, Daddy, isn't this site kind of mean? And like, I think she was feeling a little shy about taking the IQ test on the site. And of course, we wouldn't have six-year-olds, but... And uh, and she was right, like, and it was just a stupid site. But those were the kinds of experiments I was trying. Cost me only a few thousand to try it. I say only. That's that's still significant, and it adds up when you do a lot of experiments. But 
I was able to completely test out a business idea for, yeah. let's say, $2,500. And I just want to highlight that the one that worked is the perfect example. You asked earlier about, what do you mean doubling down on what's working? You doubled down on these three areas that you had expertise. You combine them all together, and that was your launch pad, your point of leverage, like the pole vault or pole that yeah. catapulted you. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. 
Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Well, and now thinking about it, like the first time I... Let's call it a pivot. I mean, it's hard to say. I pivoted. You could, you could, depending on how you define pivot. I right. didn't say, since could be puberty, I've been pivoting. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a big secret. We yeah. always are. <laughs> but in in 1997, when I left HBO to go to my um, real first entrepreneurial endeavor full time, that company it was called Reset. We made websites for entertainment companies. So here, I had a technology background. I had gone to undergrad and grad school for computer science. Plus, I had been a programmer for many years. So I knew how to make from scratch a website and I just was coming from an entertainment company. So now combining, I mean, I was even working on a TV show for that entertainment company. Like I really understood the entertainment business. So now combining those two loves of mine, uh, I was able to make a company that made websites for entertainment companies. So again, it really is this kind of combination of what did you call the three E's, the enjoyment? Expertise and expansion. Expansion. So no no company at the time had websites, so I was able to teach them how why they needed to expand. I had expertise because maybe maybe in 1994 there were five people in the city who knew how to make a website, and I totally enjoyed it. Like to be able to go to you know Warner Brothers and say, hey, I can make the website for the Matrix. Like bam, who's not going to enjoy that? Like I totally enjoyed it. So all my and then I've started many many businesses since then, and I can tell you one thing for sure: when I've done it for the money. I've always failed. A hundred percent of the time I failed when I've done it for the money and I didn't have the expertise. I remember one time I started a, a wireless software company. This is before smartphones because Blackberries were popular. I had a way of, uh, uh, I bought a company that um, built software for, for securely uh, getting behind a firewall, like if you work at a bank and so on. And I had no clue how wireless worked. And some investor asked me, and I'm like, "Well, the the wireless signal goes to the satellite, then comes down to the phone." And they're they're all in the room. They're all looking at me straight. And they're like, "Doesn't it go to the cell phone tower? It doesn't go to space." And I'm like, "And I, I had no idea." And I'm like, "Um, well, sometimes it goes into space, but just in special occasions." <laughs> and I had no idea. They put five million into the business though, because that's how hot things were back then. But that business totally failed. Like it really was a failure. So what this means is you're going to be a huge success at stand up. It could be. <laughs> I don't know because you're not doing it for the money. I and I do follow. I mean, I've been first off when I was at HBO. I worked on. I, w- I went to the Aspen Comedy Festival three years in a row. Uh, I've I've been following stand up since I was a little kid. I've watched everything. I've seen everything. I go three nights a week to to performances. Before this podcast, I watched um, 
Gary Goldman, Louis C.K., Amy Schumer, and Jeff, Jim Gaffigan. Just my morning wake-up stand-ups. And uh, I enjoy it so much. I hope yes. I can one day. And I've practiced it. You went to my one and only stand-up performance. I loved it. It was so funny. It was laugh out loud funny. I mean, I loved you think so. it. You crushed it. So, but I've got Killed. to get better though, because it's. Re- I do recognize it's much harder than just doing doing one. So hopefully, I can. Uh, I, I I have to learn to stay up late, and then I can do more. That's my <laughs> yeah. excuse. So you can't have excuses. I, maybe I don't enjoy it as much if I'm coming up with excuses. There's like a kind of hidden e, which is excuses, <laughs> which will destroy all pivots. That's like the negative e, that right? Negative subtracts e. from your uh, the plus right. three on the side of the equation. I'm giving you all new things for book two. For book like number two, negative perfect. e and then diversify <laughs> your no. I hope you're writing these oh, down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be re-listening. <laughs> James, why do you think that we resist and even try and prevent reinvention or pivoting at the same time that we crave it? You know, it's really interesting. Like, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I'm also working on my next book. Um, it's called Reinvent Yourself. Don't worry, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't, doesn't <laughs> contradict pivot. It'll probably just build on what you, what you have. But, um, I mean, I've had hundreds of people on this podcast, and I've had an opportunity— to really see what people in every area of life have done to achieve peak performance. And it's like what you're saying. Uh, It's not necessarily people pivot from being an artist to being an astronaut. You know, like people don't go completely in, you know, 180 degrees. But it's about building on what Steven Johnson famously calls the adjacent possible. So you see what ideas are already out there, what you're already doing, and you figure out how to mix and match and combine, and that's what you become good at. So if you're okay, I've written this before, like if you're okay at, let's say, one thing, and you're okay at the second thing, then you'll probably be one of the best in the world at the combination of the two. So, So very few people think in that way, but but mixing and matching and combining um, really help you figure out uh, what you could be good at pivoting at, which is why I'm trying to get good at other artistic areas because then that might help my pivot in writing, for instance, if I can be good or even a little bit good at some other areas or learn about other areas of you know artistic expression. You've interviewed hundreds of people on your shows. What do you think peak performers do differently when they hit pivot points that maybe other people don't? In addition to the adjacent possible, which I love, I think I think very important is they find a mentor. Either, um, and I don't mean that like a Yoda style mentor or anything. Like sometimes it means just reading a really good book or a set of books and being inspired by by people. It could be a virtual mentor, like someone could say, "Oh, I'm really inspired by Richard Branson or Amy Schumer or Elon Musk, and I'm gonna kind of model my career after them." I think um, you know. So then they really start to 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 say, okay, well, if I want to be, let's just take stand-up as an example and take um, Amy Schumer uh, as a virtual mentor. I've never met her or spoken to her. Well, but I could listen to, uh, uh, you know, 50 podcasts she's done. I can see her movie. I can read all the interviews she's done. I can see, um, you know, the whatever three seasons of her show. Uh, And then I could kind of, and then I can read all these books about stand-up comedy and I could sort of divide up all the skills that are needed. Well, you need a skill in telling a joke. You need to understand what a joke is. You need a performance skill. You need timing skill. Um, which it might be that in itself might be broken down into a bunch of skills. You need kind of a psych- psychological skill at dealing with failure. So at this DJ class, I've only taken one, so it's not like I'm speaking <laughs> like a professional DJ. But one thing the guy said that I th- was thought was weird, but then he explained it. He said a real DJ um, 
you, you're not a real DJ until you've cleared the floor. And I didn't understand what that meant. Like, I thought, isn't it good to have people on the floor dancing? And he said, yes, but you're a real DJ will always be experimenting and trying new stuff off of the things he's already learned. But if he tries enough new stuff, and if he's taking enough risk, you have to take enough risks, at some point, he will clear the floor. People will not be interested in what he's doing. And then he has that experience, that sweaty, palm, nervous, panicky experience of how do I get people back on the floor? And so a real DJ will have been through that, you know, probably many times. So that's probably true in every area of life. And I think that's probably true of pivoting, is that there's this gap between where you want to be and where you are now. So when you're trying to close that gap, at some point you're going to quote unquote clear the floor and you have to figure out, get that psychological skill of, of coming back. It happens to me now. I mean, I've been writing for 25 years, almost every day, and it still happens to me. I'll write something and I'll put it out there and I'll think, oh, this is horrible. And I'll see nobody engages with it and I don't like it. And you would think you could, I could have stopped myself before putting it out there, but I didn't know because you don't always know what's good and what's bad if you're trying new things. And, but it feels horrible when it happens and you just have to keep going. You have to get beyond the psychology of it. So, uh, when I was very young, you know, I was 17, I was, uh, uh, a young and up and coming chess master in, in my, you know, you know, teenage years and uh when i lost a game or a tournament i would be devastated it, i never got over that actually and i never got consequently i never really got better so that stopped me in that potential career i had to pivot out of that fortunately because chess players don't make any money but <laughs> i i definitely had to pivot out of that because i couldn't handle the psychology i was too young probably that's so fascinating i love this idea of you have to clear the floor you and take enough risks to do that yeah a real dj knows how to clear the floor <laughs> I, I wrote a piece for fast company hopefully they'll accept it about your career plateau is not a problem and the reason i say that is that you have to hit a plateau plateau means you've arrived it means you were successful in whatever the thing you were doing so when people have this restless bored antsy feeling it's actually Actually, usually, and probably for anyone listening to this show, more a product of their success than not. Well, it's an interesting thing, though, because I think a career plateau can't be sustained. No, like you, you wouldn't want to stay there. You, you're either going to end up keep moving, but to up, not take it personally. Yeah, or you're going to get depressed. Like, yes, oh, absolutely. I'm not moving. Like, absolutely. The nature of the universe is chaos. Like, we're always yes. in motion. So, so you can't. You know, I think a great example is looking at a river it always sort of looks the same but it ne from one second to the next it's never the same so and that's like a, a career like from the outside people should see oh this person's always trying new things always doing things like this rushing river but uh the reality is to that person it's constant struggle constant learning constant questioning constant trying at least small experiments like you say and that's how you build you know the river ultimately the career one of the things we haven't talked about, which I think is one of your greatest strengths and assets, is your network, who you know and the relationships you build and even who you get on your podcast. What is your approach? And do you agree that this is one of your biggest strengths? Yeah, I think so. But I think, you know, the funny thing is I look back and it seems like I have a network, but I'm like horrible. So, so, so I don't understand actually the nature of my network in the sense that I really, I really am bad at returning phone calls and emails. Like I'm horrible. You know I'm horrible at it. Like um, I'm once someone knows it's not personal, it's no big deal at all. Like that way, I don't feel bad if I'm emailing you for like 
you know, the fifth time and I haven't heard. Right. Like, I just figure, oh, he'll respond when he's ready. It's not like I'm ignoring anything. Totally. I just, I, what I do is, I if let's say you email me at five in the morning. Well, I wake <laughs> up and I'm, I figure I'm not going to respond to any emails until I've written and done my thing for the day, like my discipline for the day. But what if it takes me all day to write something? Now I've got a hundred new emails. I might have even forgotten somebody sent an email, not for any reason, just memory's bad. And then now we're on to the next day and it's just, then it's gone. Well, you I kind mean, of run it like you, a river. Like if I just ping at the right time in the in the flow, you know, it works out. But otherwise it's just, you're, you're someone who I've, I think your network probably learns cool, I'll just try when I can and I'll get a response when it when it's meant to be, you know? I hope so because honestly, <laughs> I looked at the blurbs on your book and four of them I, I owe return emails to for months. And so I'm really scared. It's like, a great way to have a to-do list. Yeah. Just look at book blurbs. <laughs> like I wake up sometimes thinking of all of, so, so but but I don't meet people for dinner or lunch that often, uh, uh, except for you occasionally at the gray dog down yes. the street. I don't, uh, I, I don't, I'm bad at returning phone calls. I never talk on the phone. I can never hear people on the phone. And so I think, but just over the years, whenever I think of an opportunity to help somebody like, oh, uh, so-and-so should be on Jenny's Pivot podcast, I'll ask, I'll do what I call permission networking. I'll ask you in advance. I'll ask my friend in advance. And then when you, if you both say yes, I'll connect the two of you and then something's happened. And I'm not even that involved. I just, I had to ask two permissions. If you didn't respond, that would be okay. And, it, but if everybody responds and I'm, and cause I'm thinking ahead too, a lot of people will say, James, what can I do to help you? That's the worst networking <laughs> you could do. You just gave me homework. I'm busy enough already. Now I have to think what is empty in my life that this person who I have no <laughs> idea what their skill set is, what they could do to help me. Like, I would never do that. I think I know your podcast very well. I know, let's say, the skill set of somebody else very well. I'll already have done the work for you in advance. This is why this person's good for you. This is why Jenny's podcast is good for you. Try to get permission on both sides, then do the introduction. I've done minimal work, but enough that you don't have to do work. And now I've networked two people. And a network is not a list of the people you know. And that's like kind of a linear network. A network should be exponential, meaning it's not the connections between me and other people. It's all the connections between all the people I know, because that's exponentially more than just the list of the people I know. That's what's so incredible about yours. I'm wondering, did you hit a tipping point at any point in the last, say, decade or even 20 years where all of a sudden that exponential growth just skyrocketed and you suddenly had access to just about anyone you could imagine, i.e. Yeah. all the people you get on your podcast? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's an ongoing process, so I don't know if there was a tipping point, but I think this was always, rather than the kind of normal skill set of like calling people up, having lunch with them, blah, 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 like the normal networking skill set, by always taking this kind of permission networking skill set and trying to think of ideas in advance for people, I've built, you know, I kind of moved up at my corporate job because of that by, you know, networking with people in different divisions of HBO, for instance. I mean, I was a programmer, I was a computer programmer at HBO who happened to also be working on a TV show there. And that's how I was able to do it. Then I was able to leverage that into building a company, um, for entertainment, uh, building a company that built websites for entertainment companies because I started meeting people at all the different entertainment companies and, you know, oh, you need a website. Here's a programmer and starting to put all that together. And then um, just more and more with everything I did, I was able to to do that. And sometimes it's embarrassing. Like, 
Um, I remember when I was trying to sell Stockpicker, I called up the head of business development at Yahoo, and his name was Toby. Uh, I forget his name, honestly, Toby something. And uh, this was 2006, or so 10 years ago. And uh, uh, he gets on the phone with me, and I'm like, oh man, I got on the phone with the head of business development at Yahoo. And he's like, yeah, James, you owe me $100,000. And I'm like, how come? I don't even know you. And he said, yeah, you do. You pitched me and I invested in that business six years ago, the wireless software business. And I'm like, oh. And he's like, ah, but no worries. And then he brought me in and Yahoo almost bought my company. So, you know, eventually, good and bad, if you're, if you're well-intentioned, if you're not hurting anybody and you're well-intentioned, it all works out in the end. If you're always trying to provide value, whether it's, no matter what happens then, you keep that network growing and growing and growing. And so now the network I have leverages off of, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you another example. I've had Mark Cuban on my podcast. Well, back in 1997, before Broadcast.com, then called AudioNet, was thinking of going public, I was doing a website for a TV show called The People's Court, where Ed Koch was the judge, and they were going to stream it live while it was being filmed. Well, AudioNet was about to go public, or Broadcast.com was about to go public, and they wanted the job of doing the streaming. So I gave it to them. So that's how I know or knew Mark Cuban. And then 20 years later, he was on my podcast. So everything kind of, what goes around comes around. Do you do anything to follow up with the people who come on your show to keep building those relationships? No, because they don't forget, really. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I remember um, one time, oh, so Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, uh, he oh, came on my, yeah, great book, great movie, yes. you know, with Matt Damon. And Andy Weir self-published that, so it was a great self-publishing success story, and then uh, I think Random House picked it up. But anyway, he came on the podcast, and this was early in The Martian's success as a book, so I think now it'll probably be really hard to get him. It's been a superstar movie. But... I remember he came on, and then a few, and then I didn't follow up with him or anything. It was just a fun podcast, like I was a fanboy. And <laughs> then a few months later, there was news they might have found water on Mars. And so I just that minute I sent him an email. How would this have affected the outcome in your book if that they found water on Mars? And he, within seconds, he wrote back a detailed response <laughs> back. And it's just you know, people don't really forget. Like, if they forget, yeah. then it wasn't really a good networking connection anyway. Yeah, great point. And, you know, but realistically, though, if I was a little... I know networkers far better than me, and they're unbelievably incredible, and their network honestly makes them, like, hundreds of millions of dollars. If I was really like one of those people, I would be going on vacations with the people <laughs> who are on my podcast. I'd be going to their weddings. I'd be going out to dinner every night. I'd be introducing them every day to people. Like I've seen super networkers in action and they're far superior to me. Anyone who's read Choose Yourself knows about your daily practice. Can you walk us through what a day in the life of James Altucher now in Manhattan looks like? Yeah, so, so and the, the important thing about this daily practice, as I describe in Choose Yourself, is not that it just, um, and this is related to the pivoting, it's not that it just kind of keeps me creative and healthy on a daily basis. It's when things are bad, I know if I just stick to this, then I'll bounce back fast. And I've seen this, bad things happen to everybody all the time. Like, uh, you could be, you could get, doesn't matter how rich or happy or whatever or successful you are, bad things are going to happen. You could go from rich to being poor. You could Your business could fail. You could lose your wife and horrible things. A death in the family could happen. You could get sick. But it's important to have a toolkit to be able to bounce back 
uh, from from these bad things in life. And several bad things have happened to me just in the past, let's say, year or two years. So the the first thing is physical. You can't ever uh, pivot or bounce back or succeed if you're not healthy. So then, and that just doesn't mean like be like you know super ripped at the gym. It just means. Uh, eating well, which we all basically know what that means. Sleeping well, we all basically know what that means. It's common sense. And movement, like, you know, don't just sit around all day, um, which is what I'm prone to do. Like, I like to sit around all day, but get out as much as possible. Uh, um, so that's f- the physical part. Then there's the emotional part. Just be around good people and people who are good for you. That doesn't mean be selfish. And if someone needs you, you say, no, you're bad now. Get, get off my shoe. Uh, but it means in general... Try to be around people who inspire you, that move you up. Um, but also, you could be around people who are good and 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 you can help. And uh, well, it doesn't doesn't have to be selfish. Be creative every day. That's super important because creativity is a muscle, and you have to exercise it. And finally, be grateful every day. So you have two choices of how to look at a situation. You can either complain about it or you can be grateful for it. So if I'm stuck in traffic going into the city, I can either say, "Ugh, I'm gonna be late for everything. Why is there this traffic?" Or I can say wow, I'm in the most amazing city in the planet and everyone else wants to be in here and I'm going in here too. So, you know, this, there's I call that a difficult gratitude problem. So you always try to be grateful for even like the bad things that are happening to you. And if you could do that every single day, those four things, physical, emotional, creative, grateful, then you're going to, ba- I find I bounce back so fast from bad things. I mean, and every week bad things happen. So you always have, you're always in a period of, pivoting or bouncing back or whatever you want to call it. And we know the concept of decision fatigue, that actually when you're grappling with big pivot questions, your brain just doesn't have as many resources for worrying about the small stuff. And so I even say, too, don't don't even bother trying to pivot if you don't have some of your physical fundamentals set. No, it's so true. Like, I had this happen last week. Uh, Someone that I work very closely with um, was very upset at me and, like, sent, sent, like, a nasty email to me um, and he didn't even realize maybe that I was so, you know, why, why the ways in which it was hurtful. And, uh, uh, I could have chosen to either kind of like dwell on, oh, well, I need to send this email back. Or I could have said, look, let's just get back to, okay, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to be creative. I'm going to be around someone who's positive for me instead of dwelling on someone who's negative for me. And I'm going to be grateful of all the opportunities I have of having had this human in, in my life for so long. So, and that allows me to bounce back faster. Like it's on a micro level, it, it, it works. So if those are the categories. Walk us through the structure. How much time do you spend? What do you do first thing in the morning? Yeah. So I, uh, well, I'll, I'll wake up and I, w- I wake what up time? very early because I'll, I'll go to sleep around nine, wake up around five, so eight hours. And then um, uh, after, you know, cleaning, a little exercise, you know, and, and so on, I'll have, I usually have a coffee and then I'll write. Writing's the most important thing to me to get done. And the brain is most active between two and four hours after you wake up. So if you wake up at five, between seven and nine, you're gonna be, your brain's gonna be at its peak level. So that's what I'm trying to write. That's so interesting because it does take me about two hours to get ramped up in the morning and I didn't know the science behind that. Yeah, it I doesn't like even matter. And have it, tea and it doesn't even matter if you're so a night slow. person or an, or an early person. Like if you wanna do something creative, try to do it between seven and nine, uh, between two hours after you wake up. If you wanna do it at night, take a big nap during the afternoon. At night, other things are important. Like you, believe it or not, like around five in the afternoon, you can run faster than when you first wake up in the morning. So there's different things that happen to the body and the brain during the day, no matter what. 
But uh, and it's probably a little different for each person. But that's in general. And how long do you write? I'll write until I've written. So, because, you know, often you sit there and you can't think of stuff to write or you write something that's bad and you don't like it and you write the next thing. So, uh, before I came here today, I wrote... Uh, so, when you say write till you've written, till you have a complete blog post, let's say? Yeah, blog post or an article or, or a chapter in a book or, or and, something. And what's the range of time that might take? If I'm, you know, if I'm feeling good and have a lot of energy, it could take 20 minutes or it could take nine hours so okay. it just depends I, I write until I've written and but that usually means before then I've usually I usually read quite a bit so between like let's say six and seven I might read for an hour um, just to get inspired to write and get that get those voices in my head of somebody who's really good and artistic and and how they write and learn from it and then I'll start writing and then after that um, I'll start you know interacting with people I like in my life, you know, friends or colleagues or whatever. So it's the emotional side. So now I've, so it's already like around noon, I've taken care of physical, some physical, some emotional, some uh, creative or all, most of the creative. And then um, the rest of the day I try to enjoy. So I try to take care of business stuff, let's say from like noon to three, like, and that's maybe some phone calling or meetings or whatever. And business stuff, believe it or not, is the easy stuff. Like just agreeing, hey, we'll do this deal or I'll work with you on this. That's kind of, or checking up on how's this activity going or how, what do these numbers look like this this month? That's kind of the easy stuff. That's just like, okay, I had to check the box on that. It's not like card creative stuff. And then I try to enjoy the rest of the day and be with people I love and be grateful for it and, and so on. That's an ideal day. Yeah. We have, not a, every we have day such is, a similar day structure. It's amazing. That's good. Well, yeah. it does, unfortunately, that's not every day. That's why we can up, we can converge at Gray Dog. <laughs> exactly. Dogs, and then the we can meet day. here at like, you know, 1030 and do podcasts <laughs> yes. and stuff. This is part of the part of the creative, you know, transitioning into business part of the day. I said to James today, we're recording on a Monday, and I said, I can't think of a better way to make Monday better than by starting with doing this podcast. Yeah. And, and so, seeing seeing you and hanging out and just talking shop. And and now what I'm excited about is we're gonna stay here and I'm gonna interview <laughs> I'm gonna interview you for your podcast. So after you listen to this, hope I don't know when your podcast will come out, but September sixth. So you so launch day. So okay, so you get the honors. I get the I get to be mm -hmm. on your launch day. So so we'll, this will come out the same day, and uh, I will be switch over to your podcast, <laughs> and I'll be interviewing you about your book Pivot and how you've pivoted and what the book's about and everything. So. Jenny, thanks for doing this bonus episode about pivoting for the James Altucher Show. And you'll have to come on again. And uh, thank you. Thank you, James. It's been such an honor to get to ask you all the questions this time. I enjoyed it. Big thanks to all the listeners for having me as your guest host today. Excellent. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it will only take 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know, and you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less. And if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. 
Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.